fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Here we are. Welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We are the group that does that. We have been entrusted with this responsibility. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, and with me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Great to be here, Dan. You know, this episode's exciting for me. I do get to reveal some deep, dark secrets about which Star Trek I like the most. And, you know, we'll see how that goes because I'm definitely old school in this. <laughs> I love that. I'm very excited about this, too. This was my introduction to Star Trek. But before we get, we can't get ahead of ourselves here, Dr. Denon, we have to introduce our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, how are you? And are you still broadcasting from an undisclosed location? Yes, yeah, so I've had to uh, relocate to the edge of the neutral zone. We've had some incursions and, you know, they've trusted me to uh, keep track of what's going on out here. Uh, that's it, You're the guy to be out there. I trust you more than anyone else. You're going to keep everyone safe. So we are talking about Star Trek today. This is going to be a Star Trek summer for us. We just finished up our old school cinema summer. We got another part of the summer, and it's Star Trek summer. And this, you guys, this is what's crazy about this is this was my first real introduction into Star Trek. And today we're going to talk about the original series because its contribution to science fiction is absolutely unmatched. And we're going to talk about all that. But before we begin, I got to tell you guys something. I watched the original series, thanks to you, Dr. Den, and you got me into this. But <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I don't really understand the um, the appeal of the first Star Trek series. I think it's I think it's super corny. And I was called King Corny in third grade. That's a real fact. I really was. And I, I didn't really understand it. I, I mean, you know, I, I get Captain Kirk. I think he's a lot of fun. But I'm a pro wrestling fan, and I'm saying this. So, Denon, you got to give me something here. What's, what, why is it? So, I, I think it's – I just think it's when you've watched it, right? Like, I – I was a kid watching the reruns with my dad who had watched it when it was out as the original series and it was like the science fiction he was into and at the time he did it, he watched it, those were good special effects. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. And then and then I think the other thing that happened was right at the right time for me, the movies came out and really uh, connected the two in an interesting way. Now, the first movie was was, was rather long. It was a 40-minute TV episode turned into a two-hour mm -hmm. movie. Right. Um, the second movie, The Wrath of Khan, was amazing, and, and I've watched it again, and I still love it. So, it, it, yeah, it's a weird thing. I, I get it, Dan. I, I, you, you just have to have connected to it at the right moment in the right way, um, but it's super corny. And it's super weird. And to watch it again was, was weird. <laughs> well, you could always tell how close the crew was to death by looking at the clock and seeing how close we were to the end of the episode. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Ben, do you have any thoughts on, on, the, on the original series before we jump right in? Yeah, it, it's interesting to watch the sensibilities of the original series versus the rest of the shows. Just because it's, it's from such a different era of sci-fi than everything else it's yeah. it, the the stories are so much more about people in a way i mean i mean the new ones too are also in a lot of ways about people and not about sci-fi but it feels more like about people from the, the 1970s than it does <laughs> 
does people from the future in a way. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, one thing I did get is I understand William Shatner. I, I, he is actually really funny. His cadence and his timing is just so weird. So when you're watching his performance, I, I get the appeal of that. But besides William Shatner being a cultural icon thanks to this show, this show inspired all kinds of modern technology. And that's really what our focus is going to be. We're going to talk about all the innovations that were directly influenced by the original Star Trek series. One of the things here, and, and Denon, you brought this out to me, computer voices, right? Computer voices show up on this show and we've got that nowadays. I mean, it's it's all over this 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 show. Exactly. And you know, Dan, it flashes back to my time in grad school because I'm of the age where voice recognition was just starting then. And and I really I, there was a very sort of classic moment in our lab where we were practicing with it. And and one of the grad students, she was originally from the Soviet Union, but it had been a while. And another grad student was very recently from China. And it really bothered her that the voice recognition could understand the Chinese student better than her when everybody else could understand her better than the Chinese student. <laughs> um, I don't know if that says who was writing the voice recognition. Right. Um, but, you know, getting computers to understand voices was really considered, I think, a stretch at the time it was written. We look at it now and with Siri and everything, we're like, oh, yeah, you know, obviously. But it was not obvious back when we first watched it. No, I think that that's really true. I mean, you know, this is, it's almost ubiquitous now. I mean, it's everywhere you've got voices. And what's strange, one of the things I thought was very odd is on the show, they're mostly female voices. And we've kind of got that now. You have Alexa, you've got Siri. I know a lot of people on their GPS and their car love to have a British female voice for some reason. They find it calming. It's just appealing. I don't know. I think it's the most popular. Um, that's the most popular voice. And also what's kind of funny is in the show, the the computer voice is a little cheeky sometimes. It's a, you know It kind of talks back to Kirk and he kind of has a little relationship with it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of an interesting... I, I'd be curious, Ben, as the engineer, what his response to this is because... It, it, it was a little more than just a voice in Star Trek. There was a little bit of AI-ishness yeah. going on here, right? Like, like the computer was actually chatting with you. And it's also become such a running icon of a joke in so many other science fiction and even some of the Star Trek movies. We can touch on that briefly later if we want to. But I'm curious, Ben, what your, your reaction to the engineering of all this, how predictive it really was. Well, it was very predictive. I don't think in the 70s we had, they had, there was any concept of you know, voice control of computers you know back then it was still you know it was maybe a little past punch cards but not really like it was still you know computers were pretty pretty basic back then and so to kind of to make that whether you call it a prediction or whether it's just oh that would be cool if we could talk to our computers it's amazing how we've turned that into a reality although there's still lots of problems i have a lot of trouble getting voice recognition things to understand me but i think that's just because i mumble a lot <laughs> I, I will say ben for my mom she definitely does voice to text better than she texts by typing yeah it's the opposite for me <laughs> that's so funny well you know it, i think we really do have to think of computers in the pre-punch card post-punch card era 
And even when I was, when first in the 90s, when computers really became a home computer system, I, I remember the talk to text was very rudimentary. Dragon, I think it was Dragon Speak was one of the big companies. So it's taken yeah. a long time. It's actually very difficult to get it to, to work really well. But I think communication is, is, a, is a big theme in Star Trek. And of course, you can't talk about communication without talking about the communicator, which this is really cool. The, the influence on cell phones is unquestionable. You know, these were really like the first Nextels, if anyone even remembers Nextels, the push to talk, where you basically would push a button and could contact anyone, and then it later became part of the lapel that they could just hit a button. Uh, I, this was, I, I thought this was a really, this this was really fundamental in designing the first cell phones, in my opinion. What, what do you guys think? I, I think there's even stories, maybe apocryphal, but the the from the original series, the, you know, the flip, you know, the flip open of the, of the communicator, that kind of in some ways inspired the flip phones of the air of the late nineties, early two thousands, when those first became a thing, like people thought, Hey, that'd be really cool. If these things flipped open like that. I, I, I obviously outlived a little bit. I thought the flip phone was cooler than it actually was cool because of, I wanted my Star Trek communicator. <laughs> so, you know, I, I resisted this weird smartphone thing that was just flat. Um, <laughs> Well, it's funny because you could open it with a flourish, right? Like you, it was dramatic, you know. I mean, in William Shatner wasted no opportunities to be dramatic, and you could just like pop it open and pop it back. But even you know, I remember seeing people. It was kind of like how people flick their cigarette, which annoys the crap out of me. But when they were people were done with their phone calls, like the the Motorola Razor was really popular, and they'd be done with it, and it was just big enough to like snap it shut, like bam, done with that phone call. You know, it was just very dramatic and fun way to talk on the phone. Yeah. I, I I agree. I think one of the interesting things going forward, though, with the whole kind of flip phone communicator, cell phone comparison, is that, you know, our cell phones ended up relying on a very different technology and you need cell towers everywhere. And the communicators really could, you know, they could go ship to planet yeah. um, right, right, very right. long distance. And so sort of figuring out that um piece of the technology is something I look forward to moving forward. Well, I think in a way, though, that makes sense with the technology they had back then, because they were, I think, in my mind, they were just basing it off walkie-talkies, which were around back then and could just talk to each other, although everyone could hear everything, so <laughs> it's not quite the same. <laughs> well, when they would make announcements, it kind of, I mean, I guess it was just the people in the room, but it, yeah. it always seemed like they were doing a lot of that. But what, what was really cool is they had the, you know, the little lapel pin you could, you could click, What's interesting is there's this company called Vocera, and I'll put a link of this up, but they basically have created, they are geared towards the medical industry, but they've created these basically wearable communicators that you can just kind of like, oh, hey, you know, nurse so-and-so, doctor so-and-so, that, and it works over a LAN, so you can have a, like a, a small network of people kind of in a hospital, very similar to being on a ship. You know, I mean, which is it took directly from Star Trek for sure. Uh, now, one of the things this is this is a lot of fun. I can't wait to talk about replicators because we've talked about a lot of various different transporters, replicators. We've we've talked about some of this technology, but I think I'm going to we're going to crack this in a way that I don't think I thought was possible before. But I'm very excited about this. So replicators obviously were essentially they're kind of like devices. You gotta correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, guys. But I think they would take a card and put it into the wall and then a door would open and then whatever food they wanted would be there. Is that kind of how it worked? I'm going to go to the engineering on this because I was going to tell you the physics of how it worked. Um, so I'll give Ben most of that. But I, 
that's my understanding too, basically, okay. Dan. Mine was more like a show question, but we can get into the science technology yeah. of it too. Yeah, from from a show <laughs> perspective, that is how it worked. Okay. I, I think that just goes back to how they thought of computer interfaces, I guess, back then, or maybe it was your your menu that you filled out. Yeah, that's what but, I thought. I mean, yeah. why, why the replicator couldn't take voice commands, but the, <laughs> computer, the ship could? <laughs> Who knows? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess food's more complicated than. Uh, Astro navigation. Sure, sure. <laughs> or, or from a show point of view, you needed that so you could kind of slide your card in to pop it open. That's just how they built it physically. It was, it was analog. You had actually, it was mechanical. It was yeah. analog, yeah. It was actually mechanical. <laughs> kind of like the people hidden behind the scene opening the automatic right. doors. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So let's go engineering first. What, what kind of, where have we seen this technology kind of play out in in our current technology replicators are obviously pretty complicated and we don't have a lot of super accurate representations of them in our in our world but we have things kind of like them we have 3d printers which are additive now we see in the show it's all it's at least in the first series it was food but in other series they would replicate all sorts of things not just food there are 3d printed uh objects like you can build all sorts of stuff out of plastic and metal, like rocket engines and uh, toys and all sorts of stuff that we 3D print. And that's kind of like replication. You're taking instructions from a computer and taking the material and printing it. So I, I think, Dan, um, my view on this is actually going to go sociological and psychological Whoa. versus physics and I engineering. It. I think the reason we don't really see replicator technology like they do on Star Trek is people still want to eat real food. And I think no one's really committed to a market for that, right? So if you think about the first um, 3D printers we've made, as, as Ben pointed out, it's plastic and metals. And it actually started with plastics. Probably, my argument would be, a combination of easiest things to 3D print from a practical point of view and the the sort of, if you've tried to machine plastics, you know plastics being soft are often hard to machine. So if I could 3D print it instead of machining the shape, I can get much more intricate and delicate shapes. So you had both a problem you wanted solved and a way to solve it easily. Uh, I'm actually, you know, we've talked about 3D printing of organs in some of our other episodes. As a quick reference, people should check that out. Um, I, I think I'm personally, if you could make a taste pretty much the same and have kind of the same things. I'm not sure I'm against it. But at the same time, I've noticed, I, I, I've personally have had a hard time getting excited about the all vegetable meat. I, like, if I want meat, I'm going to eat meat. So I'm probably a, a classic example of why we just don't have replicators yet. It would not sell. That's my Well, feeling. I'm going to tell you this, guys. We do have replicators. I was amazed to find out. I got a couple of pieces here, so follow me here. The Columbia University Engineering Department have basically created uh, a rep a food replicator. So they take, let's say, salmon, and they pulverize it into a paste. So you have these little tubes. So imagine something similar to how they, you know, a frosting, when you would take frosting and kind of like make a cake, right? So imagine like a tube like that filled with just salmon or whatever. You can plug it into this thing, and you can actually design. They have like, they want it, it's basically, they're trying to develop a software company. So think of Photoshop with food or AutoCAD with food, right? So you can 3D design a food, right? So let's say, for example, we want to make cheese and crackers to make it easy. You can have like pulverized flour or whatever, a flour paste and, you know, pulverized cheese whiz kind of a thing. 
And this will create, with 3D printing, create the food source. Now, here's what I love about this. Not only will it create the food, using lasers and different frequencies, it can create different types of heat. So let's say you want to do a deep heating and actually make something hot. You got a laser for that. You want to just brown the outside. We got a laser for that. So this can actually make food. The key is the, tech, the, the, key is the software, but it actually makes the food. Second part here. In Holland, there's two girls who make of a company called Up Printing Food. So essentially, they take food waste and then create... 3D printed food from that. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put all of this stuff on the website. You guys can follow along here, and Byflow, which is another company uh, in in Europe, they want to create 3D printed food that is good for people specifically. So let's say they would take my DNA or figure out what's good for me and my diet and be able to create 3D printed food that's good for you specifically. All three of these things, when put together, create a system on a spaceship. You know, and also with the 3D printing you guys are talking about. So you can 3D print a bowl, right, made out of metal or whatever. You can then 3D print the food inside that is specific to you with your card that is on a closed system that's recycled. So if you don't eat it, you pulverize it and put it back into paste. It's actually amazing they've done this based on Star Trek. What do you think about that? I think proving once again the original Star Trek is awesome, <laughs> and, and and proving my psychological sociological point. We just weren't ready for it yet, Dan, and that's why Ben and I didn't know about it. It, it sounds like an excellent, well kept secret about to burst right. onto the scene. I have a feeling, you know, th this is. I, I've always thought this was going to be a wave of the future thing. Um, and particularly where we're so worried about waste and recycling now, if you can actually make that taste as good as the original. I think you've got a winner there. Yeah, I agree. I love that. Uh, so as we move on from Replicator, we're going to move on to the Tricorder. One of, to me, the more confusing elements of the show, it felt like Tricorder was this device to basically keep track of anything, analyze anything that they could possibly analyze with a different Tricorder. But I'm going to first ask you, uh, Ben, I'm going to ask you first, do you know what Tricorder stands for? I should. <laughs> you should. You're exactly right. <laughs> I shouldn't, but I do. Dennis, do you know? You know, I'm, I'm in Ben's boat because I'm like, oh, wait, no, I knew that a week ago. And now. <laughs> Unbelievable. And now it's not. Yeah. Shoot. It's not coming to me, Dan. I'm I'm letting you down. I feel bad. It's OK. It's try function recorder. Sensing, computing, recording. That's what a tricorder is. Ah. So they have medical, engineering, scientific. So basically, it's a way to sense your surroundings. So I'm going to just say that we have lots of engineering and scientific. It's basically a multi-sensing tool. We have equipment that can sense EMS, temperatures, magnetic fields, chemical analysis. Those are all kind of done. I think we can agree on that. Oh, definitely. I, I think the key thing here, Dan... Well, you obviously had something else to follow on that after you wanted us to agree to <laughs> agree with you, but you didn't take the um, I, I want I want to just say it's really cool. Is it really matches the trend of making things smaller, multifunctional, and leveraging computing? But I'll come back to that. You clearly had something else to add. So no, I did. Well, I want to get Ben's seal of approval here that I didn't forget anything because this is an engineering tool. You got to know. Yeah, it has all sorts of things in it. It's amazing. Like you can, it measures magnetic fields. It measures electric fields, it measures light, it measures things about your body, it measures all the graviton fields and things we don't know how to measure yet. It's it, They're amazing. They are really cool. And, and we have a lot of that stuff. And again, miniaturizing, miniaturization is the key here. Yeah, not that small. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They got it. Uh, but here's the other thing. 
the medical tech, this is actually what, what's kind of cool here, is the medical tricorders and all the stuff they did in the sick bay is really interesting where they could monitor a lot of different things. You know, we, you know, we have devices that you hook people up to that can monitor all sorts of things. I remember looking at the original, I, I looked at um, on the original sick bay, what they were um, basically looking at was your temperature, your brain in K3, whatever that means, your lungs, your cell rate, your blood in Q5, whatever that means, your blood in T2 times 10, respiration pulse, uh, pulse um, and, and all of that stuff. We kind of do that now. So sickbay we've kind of handled. But what's really interesting is the tricorder, this ability to take this device and kind of run it over people. We have Fitbits and everything like that. But I want to tell you guys, this is really cool. This company called CloudDX is making a device that really can track your vitals over your phone. And it uses AI as kind of the doctor, right? Uh, it's called Vitali Tricorder, and it won a contest called the Qualcomm Tricorder Contest. <laughs> and here's what's crazy, is you basically have your phone, you have the app, you get devices. So let's say you need to have a urine sample, okay? So you collect the urine, and then you have this device, and you stick it in, or whatever urine samples do, it the the phone the device collects that information puts it up into the cloud and then it gives you a reading on what's in your urine and given all of your vitals it can diagnose you like a doctor that sounds like the tricorder am i right you are and and i th i think dan one of the things for people to understand um it this actually goes back to your comment with the replicator uh, believe it or not that a large part of what we're doing here is because we have computers, we can do a lot more with electromagnetic radiation. Radiation of all different wavelengths, depending on the wavelength, will both scatter differently in your body um, and be absorbed differently in your body depending on the chemical nature of things. And we are getting way better at reading very small signals as they either transmit through or bounce back from your body and doing the calculations needed to figure out what's there. Um, and so these, these sort of remote sensors, like the cool thing about the tricorder is how you just scan it over someone. It goes, beep, beep, yeah. beep, 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 right. And, and, but it's, it, we're, we're, we're getting really good at making miniature lasers, miniature lasers of all wavelengths, reading back, making really small sensors. Um, and then the computing power inside is amazing. And if you add the cloud to it, right, you don't need a lot of computer power in the tricorder itself. You just send it to the cloud compute and send it back. So it, yeah, the, the, what you've talked about is obvious, It's very logical. It's exactly what we're doing. And I'm always impressed that they predicted it back in, in the original Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, ben, I mean, this has to be, excite you. I mean, this is like right up your alley. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, how, I guess, wireless vital sign taking has become. Mm. Because, you know, in the 70s, if you wanted to measure a pulse, you had to, you know, put a finger on your neck or on your wrist and count and the thing they, well, maybe they had, I don't know if they had the, the light measurements now, but now when you get your pulse taken, they put a little clamp on your finger and, and all it is is a little light sensor that can look at the pulsing of your blood veins through your skin and figure out your pulse like that. That's crazy. And it also can, and also with that light, it can also figure out what your oxygenation levels are and, all sorts of stuff just through a little light. And so it's not a far reach that you could have something now just waving above you. Now, if you're wearing a shirt, that might be a little tricky. You might have to pull a Captain Kirk and rip the shirt off right. to, to, to do it. Right, yeah. But uh, 
there's there's no real reason that you couldn't get to the point where you're waving this thing over somebody with a bright enough light and a sensitive enough camera where you could read their their oxygen levels and their pulse and things from you know a few inches away. I mean, it's it's insane how far medical technology has come. I, I didn't know that it looks at the light pulses and, and finds a pulse. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. So here's here's another fun one. Sticking with medical, the the hypospray. So basically, this is an idea of a needleless injection. And uh, Ben, am I getting that correct? Is that how it was on the show? Yeah, it, it's needleless, and it, it's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it says subdermal. There's a great episode. Now, this is in Voyager, you know, far in the future. Oh, man. But there's a great episode where the guy, he's giving a, an injection to an alien, and the alien's like, there's no need, you know, what is this? He's like, it's oh, it's subdermal. He's like, good, I hate needles. <laughs> right, who doesn't hate needles? <laughs> well, I, I read, and I don't know if it's true. Um, ben, you might know more, Dan, as the, the, the researcher of the team, um, that part of the reason... The original Star Trek went this way. Is at that time it was illegal to show hypodermic needles on a show. Oh, that could oh, that's be. interesting. I didn't know that. And, and so, but they needed they needed a way to inject people because apparently that was just what you were going to do in Star Trek was inject people yeah. all the time. Um, Makes sense. So yeah, it's kind of those cool things. But I, I I'm I'm with this person. Um, I'm with the alien Ben. I I hate needles. Um, I I I just need one of these. Yeah. Um, and it it. A, it's interesting to think, though, about like, okay, there's no needle, so what is it really doing? I mean, that's the one of the tech things that's, that's kind of tricky because the skin is really well designed to keep stuff out, in my view. Yeah, but it, it's also good at absorbing stuff. Like nicotine patches don't, yeah. don't puncture your skin at all, but it gets nicotine into you. There are some chemicals that can get through your skin, and I think with – there's definitely some pressure there. Like, you know, you hear the little puff when, when they <laughs> – Put, you know, when they inject you. So clearly, you know, I think I think any chemical with enough pressure could probably penetrate your skin probably without a needle. Well, it's true. So it's called jet injectors and, and they do have some of this technology. But one of the one in my opinion, where we are right now, and this is very similar to that, this doesn't have it's not a zero needle injection system. But HP, of all places, Hewlett-Packard has developed a system using microneedles. Microneedles are small, and there's a lot of them. So think of like a bed of nails, but on you know the micro scale. They're about the same size as a mosquito's proboscis. I think I'm saying that correctly. But that's the little, the little straw nose that they have, right? Right. And we all know that they don't always hurt going in. <laughs> it's, it's the after effect that makes them itchy. Uh, and I know someone's going to listen. There's a little... There's a little gel on them that makes it, numbs the skin a little bit when they go in. But they're small, right? And so you're not going to feel them. Essentially, they're designed so all you feel is the pressure of the device on your skin. You don't feel the needles. And HP has gotten behind this. They have essentially used their inkjet technology where you have, you know, the three different colors, magenta, cyan, um, and, uh, oh, geez, what's the other one? I should know this. Yellow. There it is. Uh, Yellow, magenta, and cyan. But that technology to basically have a, a needle that has different, you know, maybe different chemicals or different vaccines or whatever. And when you inject it, you can punch in how it injects it through the needle. So you can have a very specific dose of a very specific chemical or several different chemicals. And it's used, the inkjet technology, I thought that was great. I'll put a link to that up. So we're really close on this. We're going to be needleless very soon, Den, and don't worry. I'm I'm looking forward to that, though. I 
I, I hear many small needles and I get just as nervous. You won't but that's feel okay. them. I'm telling you, that's the way this thing works. Okay. Uh, so you know, as we've seen, uh, I got to tell you, Denon, I was a little skeptical going into this, but it is incredible how many technologies that we have today were inspired by the original Star Trek, no matter how silly and corny. But there's a lot of stuff we wanted to talk about. Here is our errors, additions, and omissions section. I got a list here. I'm going to go last. Ben, I'm going to let you go first. Do you have anything that you want to talk about but that we're not going to? I just, you know, I love how dramatic the music is in the original Star Trek. <laughs> you know who's bad <laughs> right. just on the soundtrack. Yeah. It's true. It's like wearing a white hat and a, and a black hat in the Westerns. So, Denon, what, what about you? Do you have any uh, errors, additions, and omissions? I love the TV screens. I love the viewers and this idea that, you know, you're you're looking through your screens. And I love the fact that they never actually go the Star Wars route of trying to make visual contact when it doesn't show up on a scanner and just look out a window. <laughs> um, number one. Number two, not only in the original Star Trek, but, but it's really, really prominent in the later ones. I'm not sure why we're bringing all these families on these missions that even though it was to boldly go and just explore – all turned out rather militaristic and very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. um, so this was not a colonization effort. It was an exploration effort. Um, and, and the final one is all the ships do see, I can't figure out, and I should know this, I should be more of a nerd. I don't really get into the tech specs um, of these. They just seem to have a lot of windows for a ship that doesn't need windows, or at least a lot of lights, where I'm not really sure what like warning system they're doing in space with all their running lights to like not run into things, but that's okay. <laughs> well, those are great ones. I got a whole list here. I'm going to go through them really quickly. Number one, lots of fight scenes. What is with all the karate chops? There are tons of karate chops, and if you haven't seen the, the classic Gorn fight, uh, you got to watch that. Plenty of karate chops. I even saw a flying crossbody. Again, I'm a pro wrestling fan. I love all that stuff from a creative standpoint, but they make no functional sense. Number two, there's no spacesuits on any planet. Every single planet they go to has the exact amount of oxygen combination for us. Number three, no seatbelts or protective equipment. And every episode, the Enterprise gets jostled and everyone goes flying across the bridge, not just in the original <laughs> series, but in every single Star Trek episode I've ever seen. The st movie Star Trek Generations, stunt doubles are awful. It's very much like uh, the Batman 1966 version. Uh, there's no interaction with gravity. Unlike The Expanse, where they really dealt with gravity, there's almost zero mention of gravity or dealing with it. Spock says illogical and logical in one episode, the Galileo 7 episode. He says it right around 47 times in, in the episode. We get it. He's all about logic. Uh, uh, the episode where everyone goes crazy, there's this there's this virus on another planet. Horrible medical protocol. We're in the middle of a pandemic now. We've been getting drilled about how not to handle contaminated surfaces. One of the guy takes off his glove to touch a surface, a wall without a glove, and immediately <laughs> touches his face. This is 300 years in the future. You think they would be a little bit better for that. There's absolutely no regard. I thought that was very shocking, but maybe they live in a very different time. Uh, so that's all I have. Uh, nonetheless, I, I, I thought this was... I was amazed by how this worked. So if I've missed anything, that's a pretty all-encompassing list. But in case I've missed anything, you can get in touch with us. Uh, we're, we're active on social media. You can find the show at F, at F triple G BT pod on Twitter, at F triple G BT on Facebook. But you can find us as well. If you want to get in touch with us, easy to do. I know, Ben, you're very active on several social media platforms. How can people get in touch with you? Can uh, get me on all the major social media networks at bseepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. Denon, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Denon Michael. Just reverse my name. 
And then if you're looking for me on Facebook, it's at Prof Denon Michael. You got to add that prof in. You got to do it. You can find me on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. So we've given you a lot of stuff here. Now, this is an episode where we didn't tell you how to do it. Humanity has already done it. But if you want to take this, you want to boldly go where no one has gone before uh, and as far as technology goes, be responsible. Be responsible with this information. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. Until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening